Affirmations for Self-Healing on Generosity. Most people think of generosity as merely the giving of material benefits to others. More important, however, and much more satisfying is a generous spirit, a willingness to let the other person shine, even if it means being eclipsed oneself, a happiness in his good fortune, even if it means personal loss for oneself, a concern for his safety, even if, in an accident, one's own property has been destroyed. Generosity means, above all, recognizing that everything we have and are belongs to God alone and is His to dispose of where He will. Let us affirm, I am happy in the good fortune of all. even more than in my own, for in my happiness for them lies inner freedom. I am happy in the good fortune of all, even more than in my own, for in my happiness for them lies inner freedom. Now whisper I am happy in the good fortune of all, even more than in my own, for in my happiness for them lies inner freedom. And now affirm mentally only, I am happy in the good fortune of all, even more than in my own, for in my happiness for them lies inner freedom. Let us pray. All that I have and am is thine, Divine Mother. Dispose of it as thou wilt. From Whispers from Eternity. Demand that God respond. Today, Father, thou hast come into my temple. With thy coming all the lights of my sent servants have sprung to life, and the door of my heart has opened wide. Thy blessing has driven away the darkness of ages, sending its heavy vapors fleeing at the first glimpse of thy approach. The loud beating drums of my craving announced thy manifestation. The incense of devotion rising from the incensor of my soul, wafts upward to thee. Oh, bless me always. Respond to me whenever I call to thee. Om. Peace. Amen. From Rays of the One Light, Does Satan Exist? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramhansa Yogananda. The Bible tells us in chapter 4 of the Gospel of St. Matthew, Then, after baptism, was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. To most modern minds, this passage seems quaintly obsolete. 
Psychologists would say, have said in fact, that the temptation of Jesus, if it occurred at all, was purely psychological. They call it a projection of desires lurking in his own subconscious mind. The subconscious plays a strong part, certainly, even if not a unique one, in any testing the spiritual seeker must undergo. The Bhagavad Gita, in dealing with this undeniable reality, quotes Arjuna in the third chapter and then Sri Krishna's reply. Yet tell me, teacher, said Arjuna, by what force doth man go to his ill, unwilling, as if one pushed him in that path? Krishna replied, Desire it is, passion it is, born of the darknesses, which pusheth him. Mighty of appetite, sinful, and strong is this, man's enemy. Yet even Krishna describes passion as, quote, born of the darknesses. The fact is, as Paramhansa Yogananda wrote in Autobiography of a Yogi, all thoughts vibrate eternally in the cosmos. Thoughts are universally and not individually rooted. A thought can, a truth cannot be created, but only perceived. Psychology, yes, but psychology attuned to currents of consciousness that pervade the entire universe, attracted by each of us according to his own personal inclinations. Yogananda, quoted in the path, said, quote, I used to think Satan was only a human invention, but now I know and add my testimony to that of others who have lived before me that Satan is a reality. He is an in a universal conscious force whose sole aim is to keep all beings bound to the wheel of delusion. We should take pains, then, to attract uplifting currents of universal consciousness and to avoid attracting the negative, which, disease that it is, can infect our thoughts even while it leads us to believe that our thoughts are purely our own. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. Om, Om, Om. I'm sorry I didn't chant with you all. I should have had Jyotish lead chanting, but... You know, I'm so deaf that I can't hear the notes. And so when I play, I can't hear what I'm doing. And forgive me for this debility. Master said, somebody told him that Christian science teaches that uh, God does not know evil. Master's answer to that was, well, God must be very stupid then. <laughs> the fact is that evil obviously exists. But what is evil? A lot of modern uh, philosophers, thinkers, and so on have tried to tell us that morality and moral values are only relative. Yes, but relative to something. And that's what they don't take into account by calling them relative. They say, well, what you may consider evil, I may consider good. And uh, after all, if I take from you, it's bad for you, you lose something. But I am a gainer. And so they've absolutely reduced moral law to an absurdity. But the truth is that everything is related to the final and highest truth, Satchitananda. 
eternal, ever-existing, ever-new bliss. Now, how did God create the universe? I've talked about that this week. I pointed out that God was without vibration, and then when he decided to create, he passed the wind over the ocean, you might say, of his consciousness and created uh, duality, the waves of manifestation. Everything exists in the state of vibration. And that vibration is Om. And in each, this, at the heart of each wave of manifestation, each movement, there is the reflected consciousness of spirit beyond creation. So Om is the mother, and that reflected consciousness is the son. And so you have on the heavenly level the father, the mother, and the son. The father observing everything, not involved so much in the home life. The mother takes care of the home life. And the son, who is the vibrationless reflection, and that is perfection itself, the Christ consciousness. Now, Om becomes a very interesting point because there is the supreme duality. Om is the duality, light and darkness, love and hatred, pleasure and pain, fulfillment and disappointment, and so on. Everything is dual. But ultimately, the supreme duality is that everything is being pushed out toward creation, and everything is being brought back by divine love to become re-merged re again in the infinite spirit. And so you have paraprakriti, which is that love which draws everything back to the infinite, and aparaprakriti, which pushes everything away. And both are aspects of the Divine Mother. God, there is no such thing as evil, except as it affects us. A child hits, uh, puts his finger on a stove or hand on a stove and it hurts him. God didn't want to hurt him. He put that pain there in order to warn you that this is not the direction to go. If you keep your hand on a stove, it will burn your hand and may in time destroy it. But because of that pain, you withdraw. Well, that pain is anchored in each one of us, centered in each one of us. We suffer when we do wrong. We do not suffer when we do right. People make a great mistake in thinking that Jesus suffered from being crucified on the cross. He did not suffer. He couldn't suffer. He was above the body. His true suffering was for the pain of people's delusion, the suffering they were bringing on themselves. As he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But people in not knowing how many pains they suffer. Master one time toward the end of his life had a great deal of uh, pain with his legs. And he said it was not a physical pain, it was an astral pain. He saw these demons in the form of saws and corkscrews and so on working on his legs. And he said, for a while, I held my mind down to the body just so that I could experience pain the way most people experience it. But he could easily, one time he was walking and uh, working on the uh, wishing well at Mount Washington, and that 
heavy concrete fell right on his foot and broke his foot. And he said, look, I'll show you something. When, his pain, he, when he said, when my consciousness is in the body, it hurts. And he, he brought his mind down. You could see the pain on his face. Then he said, now I'll put it here. As soon as he put it there, there was no pain. A master can easily escape from physical or any kind of pain. The answer to all pain is realization, is Satchitananda, is bliss. And so we must understand that the Aparaprakriti is a part of the Divine Mother. It is a part of that aspect of God which loves us that also gives us pain. What is evil? It is that which takes us farther away from bliss, from Satchitananda. Master said one time, um, evil is the absence of true joy. And Tara, in editing that, said it didn't make sense, and she changed it to men turn to evil in the absence of true joy. She got it wrong. What Master was saying was that the essence of evil is that it takes away your joy. That's what makes it evil. It gives you pain. The farther you go away from that joy, the more you go into suffering. And that is in itself the evil. But a tiger who may eat a human being, is he committing a sin? No, he is not. A tiger is responding to its own nature. But man is more sensitive. And so you can see that all these things are relative in the sense of relative to a particular goal. Man is more highly evolved. Man has reached that point where he can feel his, his uh, life in other people too. He can feel for their suffering. He can feel for their pain. And if he's willing to kill other people, hurt other people, take from other people, he will suffer much more than the person he hurts. When you are murdered, you don't care. You're happy. You're out of it. But it hits him. And you cannot, the person who does evil is always in fear, always afraid of what may happen, always afraid the world's out to get him. And Maya is out to get him. So we must understand that Satan is really, he is a reality. And uh, I think I, did I tell you that story about those Tibetan, the Tibetan black magician? It's a very curious story. I think I did. But anyway, I'll tell it again because it's really an odd story. The, uh, an American GI, or whatever they called him in those days, was in Tibet during the war. I think it was the First World War. And uh, maybe the second, I don't know. Anyway, he wanted to know about black magic. And he was curious about this. And so he found a black magician and talked him into, or maybe bribed him into, or whatever, taking him to a black magician's seance. And he went there. The man told him, cover yourself up. They all came hooded. He said, if they find out who you are, they'll kill you. So go very carefully. And uh, he went into this circle. And some man sat on a rock, and with a human thigh bone turned into a, a trumpet, blew this sound, and then they all began chanting, swaying back and forth, Yamantaka, Yamantaka, Yamantaka. And uh, Yama was the god of death. And so they, in chanting this, gradually their concentration became so strong that this skeptical American 
actually saw these demons materialize. And there was the demon of lust and of avarice and anger and all the different qualities that are demonic in men. And it was horrifying to see how they manifested because it was obvious the demon of uh, uh, of greed was just with a big, gross belly and looking horrible. And they all looked, uh, the demon of anger was purple, red with anger. And uh, they all looked their role so obviously there was no need to question. But then gradually this demon Yama began to appear. And this is why they had been chanting. And as he appeared, they could feel his power trying to take them over. And then he was a part of this conscious force and he couldn't even break away from it. But they all, with great power, were pushing this, this uh, evil away until finally it began to disappear and no longer was visible. And then they all got up and walked home. And I guess the purpose of it was that they thought it was trying to take over their consciousness. And it succeeded to a certain extent, but in drawing that consciousness, they got the power to perform their black magic. Now you can accept that or not, but you can certainly say that there is evil in this world. And yet it's not evil in itself. It's just a manifestation of that aspect of God which pushes everything away from you. However, this is a very real real existence in this world. And there are places that are much more satanic. Be very careful whom you mix with because some people, as I was talking, I think it was uh, Friday, uh, about magnetism. Some people draw your magnetism downward because... And mind you, this is another thought to remember very, very severely. You cannot say with Christian, Christian love that you will love everybody. You can love them from a distance. But the rule of magnetism is this, that a strong magnet will overcome a weak magnet. A weak magnet will succumb to a strong magnet. And if you have the love of a master, master down in Los Angeles would walk up and down Main Street in front of those bars there. And he didn't say why he did it, but it's obvious why he did it. He did it to try to influence because demons try to get, go into places where people are semi-conscious, either from taking drugs or from alcohol. And they hover around places like that, looking for people into whom they can get. Possession is a reality. And they possess people many times People who commit murder, for example, they don't know why they did it. They can't even remember doing it. They're condemned to death for doing it, but they didn't do it. It was some force that took possession of them. Don't be around places like that. Avoid them like the plague. Don't, don't. When you see evil people, there's a terrible story of a um, Somerset mom called Rain. I don't know if you've read it, but it's worth reading to understand the influence of, of uh, evil. This Christian missionary was trying to convert a woman who was depraved, and he ended up committing suicide because he began wanting her too. He fell into her consciousness. And uh, it's this terrifying truth, but it is a truth. When you are, <clears throat> If you are strong and the stronger you are, the more you can help others. But try to be, wherever you go, try to go 
with a spiritual bodyguard. Keep Master with you always. One time Master said this is the importance of being with those who are enlightened and with the Guru and with good company. And Bernard, one of the ministers there, said to Master, but what if I'm alone? Master said, <clears throat> am I not always with you? Keep his consciousness. <coughs> I have found, <coughs> excuse me, I'm, little tea wouldn't have hurt, but it's too late now, too late. <coughs> when you want to protect yourself from dark vibrations, harmonize the vibrations in your heart and then surround, give out vibrations <coughs> of harmony in all directions. When you're in a taking mode, that's why it's important not to eat in places where there are mixed vibrations even. Dark vibrations, absolutely not. But if you go to a restaurant, Master usually didn't like us to go. Sometimes he went, but I remember when I was with him, he, uh, um, he would let the others go into the restaurant, but he would have a little dates and nuts and... Uh, raisins, a few things in the car, he wouldn't go in. But he was above it all. He just didn't like that that unpleasant vibration. When you go into such places, be with a group of people who are harmonious. Don't think that you can attain this freedom by uh, just affirmation. You may be able to, but why take chances? It is a truth that Satan is a power, and it's a truth that God is a power, and we can decide. We're the ones who have to decide whether we go this direction or that direction. That is why it's very important in the Bhagavad Gita, it says that, that uh, from gazing grows attraction, from attraction goes desire, from desire grows anger, from frustrated desire, and so on. But the downward the downward descent begins with with gazing. And I've heard people say, oh, it won't bother me, but looking at things does, especially if you have this karma. There was one thing Master said, that if you were a drunkard in your last life, or let's say alcoholic, it sounds more dignified, but uh, if you were in this life, just one little touch, one little taste of alcohol may be enough to make you... Um, uh, become an alcoholic again. And doctors will say, well, you had such genes. It's not genes. Genes don't come that way. This is subtler. These are memories. They, it stirs that memory. So this is why he said also, it's better not to have any alcohol. Therefore, we have two rules at Ananda, no drugs and no alcohol. These are necessary. Why don't we have any other rules? I remember... Norman came to me, Norman Paulson, many years before I began Ananda in San Francisco, and he wanted to work with me on starting a community. And he wanted no cigarettes, no smoking, no this, no that. I didn't like that. I said, no, I don't feel that's the kind of community I want to start. I want to give people the, in the desire, the incentive to live right. We don't have a rule against smoking. We just tell people, if you want to ruin your health, go ahead. 
We don't insist on people not eating meat, and I suppose some people may take a little fish every now and then, but almost everybody here is a vegetarian. We don't have to make a rule about it. Win people by making a thing attractive. Why win them by telling them that they'll, be, they'll go to hell if they don't? This is the Christian way, and it doesn't work. People will end up thinking, how bad uh, can I be and get away with it? The thought of hell, heaven's sake. I mean, what if, you're ev what if you're equally evil and good in your actions? Where do you go? <clears throat> and I can think of an eternal hell from uh, some wrong life. Let us, let us postulate a young child born into a slum. And perhaps because of no proper upbringing, he gets mixed up with a gang. And let us say that at the age of 18, he gets into a gang war and shoots somebody, maybe several people, and then is shot himself. Well, you know where he goes after death or where he's supposed to go. Well, let us assume that he's in that lower place. And after a couple of billion years, because they tell you that it's supposed to be forever, forever, God, <laughs> let us suppose that... Uh, after a couple of billion years, somebody says to him, well, what are you down here for? <laughs> Gee, well, I can't really remember. <laughs> it's absurd to think that a finite cause can have an infinite effect. It can't. Hell is, yes, there is a place of hell. It's mostly what you create yourself. But hell and heaven are temporary places. Even the astral heavens are temporary. And when Jesus spoke of heaven, he almost always was speaking of oneness with God. The astral heaven is a very temporary place. I read some Christian theologian who was talking about Kevalya Moksha, the Hindu idea of oneness with God, forgetting that his own saints, Christian saints, have spoken about um, marriage with God, union with God, with Christ. And uh, he said that hell, heaven, um, without a body would be unthinkable for a Christian. Well, I'd say that there, as Master said, two types of Christianity. There's Christianity, which is Sanatana Dharma and eternal truth. And there is churchianity, which teaches all sorts of nonsense. And this is one of them. If you want to get out of delusion, the first thing you have to do is get out of the ego. And Satan is that aspect of maya, delusion, oparaprakriti, which tries to create differences. I'm different from you. I'm separate from God. I'm separate from everything. What I get is mine, even if you lose. doesn't matter to me. Your problems aren't mine. These thoughts all come from ego consciousness. And as long as there is any ego consciousness, even sattvic guna, sattva even sattvic qualities are, for all that, still maya. Master expressed the three gunas this way. Tamoguna, that which darkens the mind, is a wave on the ocean that is very high. The crest of the wave, having peaked, is sort of pauses before it gets drawn into another wave. Rajaguna is that push upward. But Rajaguna, sattva raja, is that pull downward which pulls away from the outward wish to manifest 
toward the self. So Rajasattva is that aspect of Rajaguna or the active guna which um, is in the middle. Your wish to help other people is a part of sattva, I mean Rajasattva because it's still action but it's an action that leads you toward the stillness of sattva. And tamoguna is that which leads you away from that into increasing uh, distance from God, separation from the inner self, and uh, dullness of mind. Now, these are, Master said that these can be described as waves, and the push of the wave upward is the rajaguna that is sattic in tendency, and the raja, uh, I'm sorry, Tamaraja, that part of Raja which leads toward the crest, and that which pulls away from the crest back to the, back to the ocean bosom, is that part of the wave which is Satoguna. And then the lowest little ripple on the surface is Satoguna. Now, every wave has its three parts, and that's why Krishna said that all uh, creation is a mixture of the three gunas. There is that which is farthest, that which is closest. But Master said even, uh, he said every wave has its base, its middle, and its crest. So he said that even in, in, in Satoguna, there is still the tamasic aspect, that aspect which takes you away. And I remember some lady in India saying, I refuse to accept that uh, a saint can have any tamoguna, but he does have his wish to sleep, his need for rest every now and then, his need to stop trying. All of these things are part of tamoguna. The lowest ripple still has a crest. And we must understand, therefore, that everything is a, is a directional thing, either toward greater maya or away from greater maya. And I've used the illustration often. It's a very good one. If Mahatma Gandhi or Jesus Christ were to wake up one day and say, well, I'm going to make a rich, become a rich man. I'm tired of serving people. Even worldly people would say, this man has fallen. But if some lazy fellow gets up off his bed of rest finally one day and says, I'm going to go out and become a millionaire, even saints would applaud. It's obvious that there are gradations of good and evil. A little child with a pop gun may say, bang, bang, you're dead, and it wouldn't mean anything. But you'd worry if a grown-up did that, wouldn't you? You'd say, what's wrong with this fellow? There are gradations. We have to understand that we are here in the middle. And if we move this direction, then that power can begin to try to influence us. And if we move toward God, that power can influence us. Remember, who cha what changes you is not you. It's grace. Grace is like the sunlight shining on the side of a building. If the curtains are drawn shut, the sunlight won't be able to come in. And so our job is to open those curtains. Our job is to offer ourselves as perfectly as we can to the infinite. Our job is to open our minds and hearts to God. But he's the one who comes in and can purify us. Some Ramakrishna told the story of somebody, some Brahmin who was teaching, God is dry, you have to sweeten him 
with the nectar of your devotion. Ramakrishna said, what nonsense. God gives you that devotion. God is that love. You can't create it. You're the one who's dry. You've got to moisten your heart with pray for devotion. Pray for him to give you devotion. Pray for him with his grace to open up your consciousness to him. It all becomes grace. There is nothing except grace in the end. Even having a life, a human being, it takes a long time to reach the human level. It's lots of hard work. Take advantage of it while you've got it. Is it likely that you will fall? Of course it's not. Here you are living, uh, attending spiritual discourses and so on. But remember, Satoguna also has its lower part, but it's also its highest part. And that means that even in Satvaguna, when you are close, there's that crest there which can pull you. For example, Satvaguna gives you peace. But if you let that peace make you lazy, then you fall back to Tamaguna. And so people rise and fall. It's not that easy to get out of this maya. You may think that you're doing beautifully, but if you're not careful, if you don't watch yourself, you can fall until, Master said to me, not, remember you won't be safe until you reach Nirbhikalpa Samadhi. When you have destroyed your ego altogether, when you've reached the point where you know that he is the only reality and that you are one with him and your ego is only an illusion, then you can say that you are safe. But until then, don't presume because there's traps waiting for you all the way. It's true that there comes a time when it becomes easier. As Master said in Autobiography of a Yogi, uh, efforts painstaking, painful at first, but then effortlessly liberating. It's true that finally there was a story of St. Teresa of Avila, who uh, they used to have them uh, mix with the public. And there was a young man who would come to the grill there and talk with her, and he reached the point where he was sure he would uh, be able to get her as a, a lover. And uh, suddenly she saw Christ standing there, and she froze. And this young man tried to catch her attention. He couldn't do it. She was just absolutely frozen in attention on Jesus. And Master said that there comes a point when God will take care of you. But don't presume. Even if you make mistakes, God will protect you from them. But don't presume. Always assume that there is something there that you need to do for yourself. Because this is where Satan comes in, on that presumption. B, make it a very important point to avoid, like the plague, people who are evil. Ramakrishna one time was sitting there and suddenly got up and ran away. And there were two men who were coming who were tamasic, evil characters. And he didn't want anything to do with them. But he didn't need that. He didn't need to be afraid any more than Master was afraid walking up and down Main Street, trying to help those people to get out of their tamos. But uh, he did it as an example to others. Don't, let, don't think that you are strong enough to meet and master everybody in his evil. Evil has its power. And so always the first thing is emanate feelings of love on all sides. If you do that, 
then you can go into the worst places they won't touch you. One time I had to go on uh, into the area of San Francisco where there are lots of nightclubs. And uh, I could feel as I passed these nightclubs, there was this power saying, come in, come in. I could feel it as a power. It didn't touch me. But the main thing, the main reason I didn't even feel it touching me was that I had an aura of protection around me. I was singing all the time mentally, Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram, Om, Sri Ram, Jai Ram, Jai Jai Ram, Om. And I kept singing that and I felt more blissful. But don't take it for granted. That's what I'm trying to say. Remember, Satan is a conscious force. And he's always looking for people whom he can grab. And this is a battle constantly. In the end, Satan is a necessary part. And God, I'm sure, enjoys writing the role of Satan. And you may think that's weird, but I, as a playwright, when I was writing the peace treaty, I have to say that when I was writing those evil lords, I had fun. <laughs> I, was, I was seeing, I, I gave them the best arguments I could think of. I mean, their arguments were, were, you couldn't beat them. They were true in their own context. But that context was wrong. And yet it was fun writing. Master said that the hero is necessary to, to the drama because the hero makes you love the, the, the villain, I mean, is necessary to the drama because the villain makes you love the hero. And so the fact that there is evil in this world helps us to love God more. I remember when I was new, before I met Master, and I was looking at people, and I was thinking with absolute horror, I could be anybody in this world. The worst drunkard, the worst criminal, the worst murderer, everything, except for some reason I haven't gotten into that. But I could. Being human makes it possible for me to descend to any depth, and I was horrified and frightened by this. And I realized I needed help. When you reach that point, you know that's when you need a guru. When you reach that point, you know that you need someone beside you, a spiritual bodyguard who will keep you strong. If you go to restaurants and public places, try always to go with at least one other person who is spiritual. Most of you who are on the path have friends from before, at least, who are not on the path. Don't keep those friendships. They will make you wishy-washy. They are not your friends. He who is the friend of the self is your true friend. He who is not the friend of that self is your enemy. And so stay away from those old friends. Pray for them. You can still help them. But being with them will draw you into their orbit. And if you work in an office where people are very worldly and trying to pull each other down and so on, that's a satanic influence. How do you protect yourself? I'd say move to Ananda myself. <laughs> I'd say live in a spiritual environment. It is the best thing you can do. Because here we find that uh, the smiles of... I, I was sent a picture from India just this morning I received it, from the school. They're building our school near there, and they wanted to give some uh, 
goodies to some of these workers. And there were Ananda people doing these. And the Ananda people were so happy and their smiles were so sweet and giving. And these, these uh, um, workers had such dour faces. Finally, they were able to coax a few smiles out of them. But that's the way the world will affect you. And the world will say, well, only we're only realistic. That's not so. There are many types of reality. Choose that type of reality which will help you to rise. There are many types of reality. Choose that which will lead you. And this is the goal you must always keep in mind. What should you, why should you do what you do? Why is it good to be kind to others? Why is it bad to be unkind? Because the one will make you centered in yourself and take away your bliss. That which leads you toward bliss is good. You don't need church preachments or society's preachments. And morality changes from age to age. But that which gives you more bliss is certainly that which is in the right direction. And that which takes bliss away from you, which robs you of it, is that which will be evil for you. And what will be evil for you may be good for other people. Because it's better for somebody even to act selfishly than not to act at all. And so don't insist that others follow your values. And this is a very important point. <clears throat> that which is truly sattvic, that which is truly good, is that which leads toward unity. Now, you've been all learning teachings that are deep, that are wonderful, that are true. Don't fall into the trip of sectarianism. Don't fall into the, into the trap of thinking that I know better than other people. And so other people tell you they practice some other mantra. No, no, you shouldn't do that. Don't do that. People have the right to find their truth in their own way at their own time. And many people will have to find it in different ways according to who they are. Don't become proud spiritually. Just like I was saying about myself when I was working on becoming humble and woke up one morning to the ghastly discovery that I was becoming proud of my humility. <laughs> you can easily use sattvic qualities to fall into pride again. Particular thoughts that my sect is the right one, my guru is the right one. I went to an ashram years ago I had written saying that I was coming as a representative of my guru's work. And I didn't have any answer, but I went. I came during a time when they were having a siesta or something, and they I, I needed to go to the bathroom, but the bathroom was closed too. Everything was closed. I said, well, really, I do need to go. Well, you can go squat on the beach. Can you imagine a Westerner squatting on the beach in full public? It just, it's unthinkable. I managed to contain it. And uh, then when he led me to the guest house afterwards to, to the re registration office, I said, have you heard of Paramahansa Yogananda? Oh, yes, but there are so many these days. I was absolutely insulted. They had somebody come from uh, another place who was a member of theirs, and they brought out a car to show him all around. They had told me they couldn't spare a car for me to show the whole see the whole ashram. And so this man was a friend of mine, so I asked him if he could take me as a guest. He said, yes. When I got back, they charged me money for 
my part in that drive. It was unbelievable. I left there just shaking the dust of the place off my, off my feet. Don't let that kind of sectarianism come in. There's so many ways to God. You should be loyal to your way. Don't be wishy-washy. This is my way. But don't allow sectarianism to make you feel that you're better than anyone else. That very thought will make you worse. We must be humble and realize that everybody, no matter where he is, everybody, the one thing that unites all human beings is the fact that we are all seeking Satchitananda. We all want bliss. We all want it. And when the more we have of it, the more we want to share it with other people. But this consciousness of separateness is such a human tendency, and it's born of this same satanic tendency toward separation. My race is better than your race. My religion is better than your religion. My country is better than your country. My school is better than your school, etc., etc. This is not the way to wisdom. See God in all, and even though some people are to be avoided, bless them from a distance. Don't hate anybody. The more you reach toward unity, the more you see that his bliss is everywhere, and the more you try to find that bliss, the more you will see that Satan will just give up on you. Helpless. I'll go try finding somebody else. <laughs> You are one with all that is. You are a part of God. And the only difference between you and Krishna and Jesus, as Jesus himself said, because at one time the Jews were all set to stone him because he said, I and my father are one. He didn't say, my father says so and you'd better believe him or you'll go to hell. He said, don't your scriptures say, his scriptures too, but they said, they're your scriptures. Don't they say, ye are gods? He didn't come to tell us how great he was. He came to show us, by inspiring us, to show us how great we are potentially. We have that God within us, each one of us. And Satan, in the end, will prove to be your friend. Because as I found when I was, I remember when I was a child, my, I, was, I had this high fever and I, I came near dying. And my father was reading me Huckleberry Finn. And his, Huckleberry Finn's father was a drunkard. And I remember in my, um, delirium. Huh? Delirium. my delirium, I, I was saying, I don't want to be a drunkard. I don't want to be a drunkard. And I, but it's a strange thing, because the same thing drove me to God. I don't want to get into this delusion. It's so easy to fall into delusion. I don't want any part of it. I've had enough of it. I've had enough of the suffering that comes with it. I've seen the suffering everywhere. I want to find that truth which will free me from suffering. I want to find that truth which will free everyone from suffering. And my greatest desire in life, apart from wanting to know God has been to help other people to overcome their suffering. But the best way you can help other people 
is not by dogmatizing them, but by saying that uh, I and my father are one, you, are your, you and your father are one, inspiring them to want that bliss. The more you can share that bliss, the more you will be able to help people. I know Master said to Vance Milligan at Mount Washington, he was one of the monks there, he said, you should mix more with Walter. You don't know what you have in him. Well, I didn't know either. But I did know this. I did love God and Master. And that is the thing you can share with other people. Share your bliss. Share your love. Don't keep it hidden under a, under a uh, blanket. The more you share with others, the more your own joy will expand. Joy to you.